Welcome to Advancing Our Church. I'm Jim Friend, and I'm so grateful that you could join us today. Today, we're going to be talking about evangelization with our special guest, Tom Quinlan. Because as Catholics, we're called to spread the good news of the gospel and share the love of Christ with others. This is what evangelization is all about, and it's a crucial aspect of our faith. In fact, Pope Francis has emphasized the importance of evangelization in his papacy, calling on all Catholics to be missionary disciples and to go out to the peripheries to share the joy of the gospel. But what does evangelization mean, and how can we do it effectively in our modern world? Well, in this episode, we'll explore these questions and more as we discuss the vital role of evangelization in our church. But before we get started, I want to take just a moment to thank our sponsor, Changing Our World. If you're involved with fundraising for a Catholic organization and you're looking to make a significant impact, Changing Our World can help. Their expert team provides customized philanthropic consulting services to help Catholic organizations create a lasting impression. Whether you're starting a new fundraising campaign or looking to improve an existing one, Changing Our World can offer the guidance and support you need to achieve your philanthropic goals. Visit changingourworld.com today to learn more and check out their link in the show notes of this episode. And now, let's get to work. Today we'll be exploring the topic of evangelization and engaging people in parish ministry with Tom Quinlan. Tom has served in parish, diocesan, and national catechetical leadership roles for nearly 30 years. He has served on Catholic boards such as the National Conference of Catechetical Leadership, Paulist Evangelization Ministries, and now Alpha in a Catholic context. He has spoken in dioceses and conferences throughout the country, including at Franciscan University and the L.A. Religious Education Conference. Tom is the author of three books, two on the Eucharist and one on catechetical leadership, and I'll leave links to those books in the show notes of this episode. His style strives to bring spirituality, theological reflection, and pastoral application into synergy. He lives in Des Moines, Iowa, with his wife and two boys, where he directs the St. Joseph Evangelization Center and serves 24 parishes in the region. And so, without further ado, here is Tom Quinlan. Well, Tom, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here on the show. It's great to be with you, Jim. So, Tom, I'm going to start with kind of a fun question. Let's start with a fun fact. Tell us something about yourself that is not commonly known. Well, I don't think I've told many people in my ministry life that I actually lived for a, a few months in Pakistan as a boy. Oh, wow. Uh, my dad was hired by their government back in the 70s to restructure television and radio for the country. My dad had run television stations in Chicago in his earlier life. He, he lived a very interesting life. So we he was there for about six months and we were there for three months. Uh, in the summer, when the, the coolest day high was 95, <laughs> we averaged about 115. And not the tourist season for, for Pakistan, <laughs> but it was a great experience. And what it did is, is it opened up you know, the consciousness of this 10-year-old Irish kid from Chicago to to the big world out there. We were literally on the other side of the world when it's, you know, in central time zone, it's it's noon here, it's midnight there, interfacing with Islamic culture and uh, just the, the whole civilization of the subcontinent of, of India loved it. And so I hope, I have two little boys, four and six, I hope that Christy and I can give them experiences of the world because I think it's so enriching. 
That's exciting. And now, do you do you attribute? I know you do a lot of presentations for folks. You're in front of people quite a bit. Do you get that? You think from your dad's side? Is that where you kind of get your uh, your your presentation skills and your ability to be in front of people? You're an intuitive guy, Jim. Yes, <laughs> my dad was. You know, he had some blarney in him. He was Irish. He's a great communicator, both verbally and written. He wrote many books. And today, I was telling you, I've, I've been in the the throes of, of finishing most recent effort at a book. I think a lot of that rubbed off on me, along with what I call an entrepreneurial gift. He was a kind of an innovator in his industry of television and, and media. And I think that must be in me because I'm always looking to prod the church and encourage the church where I have some influence to be trying some new things. It seems to be needed in our church. So, you know, that's probably our conversation today. Absolutely, hundred percent. We we're all about advancing the mission of our church here. I'm 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 excited. I've been excited to talk with you about some of your ideas. I've came across you on LinkedIn, and I watched a couple of your your webinars, and uh, just super impressed with the work that you do at St. Joseph's Center. But tell us a little bit about how did you begin this journey? How did you decide to choose a career in catechetical leadership? Well, it chose me a little okay. bit. Yeah. I, uh, I grew up thinking by 15, I was going to a Catholic prep high school, Dominican high school in the Chicago area, really thinking I had a vocation to priesthood. You know, I want to work. I love the church. What am I going to do? I'm going to become a priest. And I followed that through and, and, and went through three years of uh, major seminary uh, theology. So I was one year short of being ordained. And at 27, I, I found myself not quite ready to take that life plunge, like with marriage, not about to become ordained and then, you know, possibly leave. Yeah. And I, I had, you know, I had qualms about celibacy, I had qualms about just my personality and the fit with priesthood, because I, I think I had a misunderstanding of what priesthood really was. I maybe had a glamorized understanding of it. And my formation at, at Mundelein for Chicago was excellent, was outstanding. And it really helped me understand what goes into priesthood today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I stepped back just to take a pause and found myself landing a parish gig as a, as a DRE, 4,000 family parish. Huge. In the suburbs of Chicago. So wow. I, I went, it was thrown into the deep end. And honestly, Jim, the beauty of this journey in catechetical ministry and evangelization ministry has been so fulfilling and, and filled with, with, with joys and fruitfulness that I ended up not looking back. I just mm. kept playing the, the good hand I had, always thinking, because I was single until I was in my mid-40s, thinking, well, I could always get ordained, right? I'm still single. And then I met the love of my life in my mid-40s. Thanks be to God. Patience is a virtue. <laughs> and now I'm all in with, with wife and two beautiful boys and loving life. Even at, at this advanced age, I'm, I'm uh, just having a blast. Well, maybe you appreciate it just a little bit more than the rest of us who did it just a little bit younger, right? I mean, you've, you had some fun. You, you explored a little bit and... Uh, and you were definitely certain when God uh, put his hand on you and said, this is the right woman and this is the right time. That's wonderful, Tom. It's a beautiful story. So, you know, speaking of family, actually, as I mentioned to you before, I I did catechetical ministry in the 90s. And uh, here we are in 2023. And I know it's changed so much. Uh, the population has changed so much. And and I think anyone, any one of us who have worked, whether they're working in advancement or they're working, in, even a, a parishioner in the pew can see that the mission field has changed. But tell us a little bit about the importance of family and parent formation and ministry and, and our evangelization efforts. Because I'd like to focus today 
a little bit around evangelization, bringing people back to church, reaching people in the pews. How are you kind of guiding catechists and catechetical leaders in evangelizing through the family unit? Well, I love that. And in fact, in the early 2000s, when I was starting out as the director, catechetical director for the Diocese of Joliet in the, the west-south suburbs of Chicago, we brought in a fellow named John Roberto, who is mm-hmm. still very active and vibrant. He keeps saying he's going to retire, and he works harder in retirement than I ever will for a paycheck. And yeah. he's, a, he's a brilliant man, and he has done so much to further the consciousness of the church to become more family in its approach. I use the term outsourcing. The the church in prior decades had been about outsourcing faith formation to a Catholic school or to the parish faith formation program. And we're seeing, I mean, definitively that that doesn't work so well. And so, uh, I mean, back in the 90s, I had colleagues in other parishes in in suburbs of Chicago talking about family formation. It was becoming a topic. John Roberto came to the Diocese of Joliet several times to do some intensive trainings through something called Generations of Faith. And that was a big Lilly Grant initiative that he had for five or six years and and made great inroads around the nation, forming dioceses to, to get away from the strictly schooling model where children are sequestered and the parents are left to go to Walmart or get a coffee or whatever they want to do. And then, we'll, you know, the, 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 the transaction was, we'll return your child to you, a little disciple of Christ, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it hasn't worked. And I like to say to people, you know, all these decades, the focus has been on the children, the children, the children, and how's that working for us? How, how's it gone? It's not gone well. I mean, there's some values to the schooling model. So I don't want to trash it. There's a lot of good that goes with kids at desks, either in school or, or faith formation, but it's insufficient. Yeah. Tremendously insufficient. And so maybe in a perfect world, we have some of that schooling benefit, but we are very deeply engaging with families, with parents. And for me, for a long time now, I have cared more about the parents than the kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you give me the parents. Let's do amazing adult faith formation with them. It's evangelizing because we're meeting them where they're at. And most of them are candidates for evangelization more than catechesis. And that's a whole conversation we can have. Right. Recognizing that most parents probably are in need of some manner, shape and form of conversion. That's the big word for me in all of this is conversion. Some of them are in need of reconversion. Some are have never been evangelized and they may be fully sacramentalized, but they're not evangelized 30 something marginal Catholic people. They've never come to know the Lord Jesus in a personal, vibrant, real way. So we need to be doing evangelizing mission ministry with them in some conjunction with with family ministry. So if we have families gathering once a month or, or three times a year, or whatever it is at the parish, I absolutely encourage parishes to make sure that part of that block of time, the parents are taken out or the mm-hmm. kids are taken out. Because when the kids and the parents are in the room together, where's the focus? It's on the kids. Right. So for us to do meaningful conversion ministry with those in need of evangelization, we need to talk to them as adults and get down to the the real issues that will invite them to look themselves in the mirror. Because it's so easy for us all to engage in this. Well, let's focus on the kids. Help your kids learn your stuff. And the parents never have to be introspective. Mm -hmm. Where am I in my relationship with God? 
with, mm-hmm. with Christ Jesus, with the church. So we have to find ways to get to that, that core conversation with them that invites, that facilitates, fosters an environment where conversion might, might happen. You know, really, res- everything you said resonates with me. We experienced it in, in the 90s, and I think we experience it even more today, where most parents, their catechetical journey, if they didn't go to Catholic school all the way through grade 12, a lot of their catechesis ended around maybe fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, something like that. And so that is their Catholic worldview, if you will. It, it ended right there. And that might have been 20 or 25 or 30 years ago in some cases. And so then we can't be surprised if that's where it ended, that maybe church was doesn't become a priority for the family coming to church on a weekly basis, or maybe we something kicks in. And my I, I used to work with a DRE who said they come for the magic, right? Mm-hmm. They come because, oh, it's time to get baptized. It's time for First Communion. It's time. And those are great. I, th- I would think those are great catechetical moments to re-engage them. If they've come back at some place in their core, they must recognize that they need this, that they're hungering for this. What, how are you seeing it? Oh, I agree with you, Jim. But, you know, I like to say that graduation day from journey into the mystery of God's love for us is not confirmation. Mm-hmm. It's death. Yes. You know, that's got to be our mindset. That's the day we graduate. Right. And for even if we did a great job in our formation of children and adolescents, if it's an eighth grade confirmation, if it's a, a junior year of high school confirmation, I don't care how well we did that. That framework, that worldview should feel insufficient to a 30-year-old, to a 40-year-old. They've outgrown that Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So they have this perception that Catholicism is thin and shallow and for for children and something to be grown out of rather than something to be grown into. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. So they felt that the natural evolution is to grow out of learning about the faith. That's something little kids do. I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's, that's a real point. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So parishes, absolutely. This is part of our problem, why we're in the fix we're in today. We allowed that to, to fester, to continue from generation to generation, where we had these, these eighth grade Catholics. And if they're thoughtful, deep people, what they were told no longer suffices. So we should have been providing the resources for them to grow into an adult faith. You know, it's as different as being 35 and 15. You know, it's just wildly different. So how, how can we do ministry with adults, you know, parents and other adults that speak to their existential concerns? And, and that's going to be different than what we're doing with 13-year-olds. Are you finding the questions that come from them consequently when you do a, a parent catechesis on the Eucharist, you know, for mm-hmm. parents of children who are receiving mm-hmm. the First Communion, that maybe the questions are much more fundamental, that you have to kind of start from the beginning, or is it a hodgepodge? You know, I've evolved in this. So yeah. for people who are trying to figure out their style of relating to parents and doing formation with them and other adults, yeah. um, you know, I started out doing Pauline Eucharistic theology and and, mm-hmm. and all of that you know, stuff that's up here. And now where I'm at is I start these parent conversations with, what do you want for your kids? There's a mindset out there, and I've been processing this as I'm I'm really working on two books at the same time here. One is to evangelize millennials or whatever generation we're talking about now. And the other one is going to be for parents of children at baptism and first Eucharist. And parishes could give this small booklet kind of thing that they could give out at baptism, or maybe coming into the parish for the first time, meeting those parents where they're at. It's vital that we meet people where they're at. And 
these parents come in to, to sit down for what we're not going to call a meeting. We're going to call an evening of reflection because mm-hmm. who wants to come to a, a meeting? And it's not going to be about the logistics of First Communion, the videographer and all of that stuff. You know, maybe there's another way we can handle that stuff. We're going to talk about the, the core issues of meaning in their life. And what what's of meaning to parents? First and foremost, their kids, maybe their marriage. And so we go there. This is what Jesus did. Jesus met people where they were at. So I am less inclined, and this is not to be in discord with any of the mindsets that are out there in evangelization today, but I am probably more inclined not to start with, certainly not the catechism, and maybe not even with scripture and 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 the person of Jesus. I mean, it's always, you know, start with the person of Jesus. I am going to start with my audience. I'm going to start with the person across from me or people across from me and try to gauge, understand who they are, what makes them tick. And that will reveal to me as the erstwhile evangelizer, the entryways. What are the soft spots on their hard-baked shell that I can engage with them, relate to them? I guess it's a little bit salesmanship. Yeah. And I'm going to build, as Sherry Waddell talks about, build trust, build a relationship where we talk about the things that matter to them. So, So I'm starting out with, what do you want for your kids? And then I try to help them understand a couple of things. One is, okay, so yes, for your kids, but what about for yourself? So you want this for your kids. Have you lost so lost touch with yourself that you no longer have needs and desires for yourself? And I say the best gift you can give yourself is a healthy you. So let's, let's take a look at that. And then what does God want for you? Because it's all well and good what I want for myself. But, you know, what God wants actually matters more because God knows better. And then we take the conversation from there. And it's interesting to hear there's a lot of commonality. One of the things that you'll always hear from parents is they want their kid to be happy. No kidding. We all want our kids to be happy. But here's where I get to bring a theological twist into it. I say, you know, I think you're aiming too low if you're thinking the ceiling is happiness. And then we talk about joy. Hmm. And joy being something that is a supernatural grace that blows away happiness, which comes and goes you know, with the variables of life. So just trying to rock their world, move the needle, open them up to other ways of seeing things that hopefully will lead to their interior disposition opening up to the Holy Spirit, to the presence of God in scripture or whatever, whatever avenue God has in store for these beautiful people that will bring them into living relationship. That's that's beautiful, Tom. You know, it reminded me, I was talking with a friend of mine whose wife just retired as the parish DRE. She did it for a very long time, but she's decided to stay on in the role of RCIA for adults. So when someone contacts the parish now, she'll do a little Zoom call with them or she'll meet them one-on-one. And initially they they will say, well, when do we start? And she'll say, well, we could start right now. Mm-hmm. Like like really meeting them where they're at, not, not saying, well, it's April, we just finished Easter, we'll be starting a new class sometime, you know, in September. She starts the meetings with them one-on-one right away and begins their journey immediately, really kind of capturing that moment and walking with them. And as a retired DRE, of course, now she doesn't have to worry about 300 kids and, you know, everything else that she had to when she was working. Now she's really enjoying just kind of the quality time, one-on-one, walking with somebody through the journey. And I think sometimes all of us who work in any aspect of ministry, you can lose track of that because you're dealing with so many issues and challenges and struggles and you are got to make sure that you got, you know, teachers in the classroom for catechesis and you 
you know, or in my world, it's advancement. You keep things moving. Sometimes we forget to focus on the individual, right? And kind of walking with them. Jim, that's a great point. Our size works against us in that we're understaffed largely at parishes and yeah. have been for a while. And it's only getting worse. We're being more and more spread thin in our bandwidth, our capacity to be deeply relational with folks. And that's the, the coin of the realm when it comes to ministry and, and evangelization is putting in the time with people. So one of the things that parish leaders have to be good at is forming, you know, some, some, some leadership folks at, at the layer down from them and empowering and, and we say delegating, but forming them and empowering them to then do the same for the next level down. So when I was a DRE, I had grade level coordinators for our many catechists. We had 10 sections of second grade. So I had a grade level coordinator. So I put in the time with her and the other grade level coordinators, built deep relationship with them. And then she built deep relationship with her 10 and then out and out. So we create a, a structure, a web that's highly relational, but it can't just be the parish staff. Certainly can't just be the clergy. That's unsustainable. Absolutely. So as we talked about, both of us have been in this for a long time. How are you seeing a role, especially since the pandemic, where social media or uh, Zoom or other forms of new media are taking a, taking a role in catechetical ministry? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I personally experience this continue to, through a parish, I relate to 24 parishes, serve mm. the deanery or the region of the Des Moines metro area. And it's not my home parish, but a parish that's near me and that I relate to closely, beautiful parish, did some wonderful Zoom ministry where they created small group dynamics around a video assisted program or something. And they had the guys, you know, multiple guy groups and multiple women groups. And I got plugged into one of them and we're still meeting and we built community. You can build community digitally. It's different, but it's still of great value. And honestly, would these guys have come out of their man caves and, and wherever they're watching from to have gone to the parish to do this? I think most of them would not have. I agree. But Zoom yeah. has allowed us to reach people who wouldn't wouldn't otherwise be in our, our ecosystem. So we should, I would say parishes should be looking to do both and to do stuff that's gathered for those who want to gather, you know, personally, physically, and then do some stuff online for, and you'll catch some other fish that way. I completely agree. I, I think, and one of the pressures that was on, I, I, I saw on our pastors during COVID is we got to, we got to get our masses online. We got to figure out how to connect with people. They're stuck in their homes. And then when they came back, people liked the online piece, but now we've got to be able to do both. So, you know, I, I think for, for some people that could feel a little bit daunting, but it, it, it's certainly where the community's at, right? It's where people's heads are at today. With regard to mass, it's a real conundrum. Uh, because yeah. we really, if I was a pastor, I would be doing all I could to work those people back into the pews because yeah. it's it's just different. You know, you can do a, a men's group online, but, you, but mass is a different thing entirely. Totally. So it's a conundrum. I appreciate that. But look at the opportunities the digital provides. There are so many great resources out there online, many of them free. So free and easy to, to broadcast out to your folks. And some are subscription-based, but there's really good stuff. What we must not do, however, is think that anything that's programmatic is going to save us. Mm -hmm. We have for decades 
fallen into the trap as the Catholic Church, thinking that this hot program, that next thing that comes around, is 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 enough. What we need to do is have a, a parish culture that's healthy and beautiful and strong, into which then that's good soil into which we can plant seeds programmatically, resource-wise, that can bear fruit. I heard somebody say the other day that you know a couple had another kid because their marriage is on the rocks. Not a good idea, right? No. <laughs> For a parish to say, you know, we're in deep trouble here. You know, all the arrows are pointing down on our dashboard. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to run this program. It's, 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 it's sowing seed on bad soil. So we have to understand what programs are meant to do, and that's to be enriching in a culture that it has forward momentum already there. Have you seen, I know there's been a big push by all the bishops around the country to bring people back to Mass since uh, since the pandemic. And of course, we have the uh, National Eucharistic Congress next year, which uh, I'm looking forward to. My wife and I will be there. Will you be there, by the way? Yes. Oh, good. We'll have to have an Advancing Our Church meetup or something. We'll but... meet in the middle. You're in Pennsylvania. I'm in Iowa. So it's perfect. <laughs> but I bring that up because there's obviously this big push to bring people back to Mass, to remember the real presence of the Eucharist. Are, are you seeing things in your neck of the wood, strategies or uh, ways in which people are, are pastors are bringing their, their flock back to Mass in person? Two, two things come to mind in particular, and this is a topic that we could go all, on all day about. One is I found myself very soon into the quasi-post-COVID mode, encouraging people to, to not use the word back. Oh. back, back to normal, or getting our parishioners back to mass. Because what that does is that sets up a ceiling for us in our expectations that, gosh, if we could just get everybody back who was coming in November of 2019 all will be well again. No, in 2019, we were wringing our hands with how empty the pews were, how much trouble we were in. So this mindset of back to, and what is normal now? I have no idea what normal is ever going to be again. You know, we have so much weird stuff going on in the world. Yeah. So I want to encourage people not to be nostalgic and to be thinking about 2019 or, or 1929. What's the path forward? And the metaphor in scripture is the Israelites in the desert out of Egypt, they got to a place where they just, they said, you know what, we were slaves in Egypt, but just let's go back there. You know, we won't starve and we know what we got. No, God is calling us forward to some promised land, to some new Pentecost that that we don't have a clear sense of yet. So it's forward, it's not back. And we should be thinking about our zip codes. Every household in the zip codes we cover, as, as canon law does, that is our uh, mission field not yep. our database, okay? Agreed. If we do this right, we are going to get so many people flooding the church who've never been Catholic, haven't been Catholic for 40 years, if we if we are truly the body of Christ at our very best. And we could un- unpack what that means. Will we get all of our folks back who, who we lost to COVID? No. We try, but but we have to be looking out into the mission field of our neighborhoods and zip codes. So that's the first thing. No more back. It's forward. Number two is I love and have associated with an organization. It's an apostolate for parish renewal out there called Divine Renovation. Oh, cool. Uh, I've known uh, Father James Mallon, the founder, since 2011. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had somehow heard of me before I'd ever heard of him. We met up in Chicago. I just thought, oh, this guy is awesome. He had me out to do stuff in Halifax. I had him in Joliet. 
And since then, he wrote in 2014 a book called Divine Renovation. I highly recommend this book to all your listeners. Get this book in, in your pastor's hands, in your parish council president's hands. Malin has a, a brilliant theological and pastoral instinct for renewal. And what's come out of this book is a, an organization, a global organization in United, United Kingdom, Australia, uh, across the world, and the U.S. and Canada, that is doing brilliant ministry. One of the things that Father Malin strongly espouses is looking at Alpha, and that's a whole conversation, but I, I'm now on the Alpha board for U.S. Catholic, and I've really come to appreciate the values that Alpha has. And the fact that it's not Catholic doesn't bother me at all because it's Alpha. It's the first step into Christianity, into Christian consciousness. You know, if they come to a Catholic parish for Alpha, we can take it from there, and they'll end up being Catholic, hopefully, instead of Methodist. So there's nothing about not being Catholic that should scare you. There's a website, just Google Divine Renovation, and there's sure. awesome, great digital content for leadership, pastoral leadership there. So please, folks, check it out if you haven't. Uh, that There are other great apostolates out there. There's a lot of good stuff. But the one I want to highlight for you is Divine Renovation. I think they are a profoundly spirit-led organization of smart people uh, helping parishes figure out how to do this. Not in a cookie cutter, here's our way, you know, do it our way. It's providing a framework of principles that any parish can apply to their unique pastoral landscape. Excellent. Well, I'll try to make a note to put a link in the show notes of this episode so people can just click on Divine Renovation. That's excellent. Tom, I want to invite you back into this the part of your conversation where you were talking about Catholics at our very best. We need to invite people back into being Catholics at our very best. And that was part of your evangelization. Tell us more about that. Well, in one of my books, I talked about how we have been guilty of handing out little mosaic tile pieces to people in, in their child formation, adolescent formation. And so what happens is our children have lots of tiles and they don't know what to do with them. And so we help them go up to the board there and, and place their tile. And so it doesn't look like much. It just looks like a jumble of colors and shapes and everything. What we need to do is help people step back, gain perspective. When you see Catholicism in its fullness, it is absolutely the most beautiful thing on earth. It is this coherent, cohesive, transcendent system of thought that holds water there are no contradictions. There's no failure intellectually in Catholicism. But we have to step back because it's a massive mosaic and, and we can't make much sense of it up close. So we have to help people step back. This is, I guess, the framework for talking about Catholicism at its best. Yes. We should not be chasing the, 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 the shiny object, the latest whatever. Our source material, God bless the catechism, it's not the catechism, it's, it's our scriptures. It's the gospels of Jesus Christ. We need to revisit who Jesus is. And we need to make sure that our beings, our consciousness, the way we are aligned in parish ministry conforms to the person of Jesus Christ. And if we simply be the body of Christ, as Paul suggests that we are, if we simply be the face of mercy and of truth and of love, to one person at a time and, and to be prophetic to community, to challenge them to be bigger and better than they are and transcending political parties and ideologies, but understanding and embracing the, the ideology of the gospel, we will once again be revolutionary and change the face of the earth. 
the, the gospel has that power. So all we have to do is make sure we're well aligned to the person of Jesus and not, you know, who got the flack in the gospels? It was the Pharisees. It was the Sadducees. Religion calcifies. It ju it's just what it does over time if you're not checking and balancing it. Catholicism has calcified. It happens. It's an organization. It's a hierarchical institution. So how can we, you know, chip away at that stuff, lubricate, go to the chiropractor, whatever we need to do to become more agile and adept and flexible and responsive to the needs of people? People will fall in love with us and then God or fall in love with God and recognize the truth in the Catholic Church. It's, it's not rocket science. If every parish does its best to be the face of Christ for their community. And each person in, in that, from phone call to visit at the door, is the face of Christ. If we all could just do that, we'll see turnaround and pretty quick. The, the pews will be packed. Absolutely. Do you see that's where the catechetical trends and parish ministry is evolving? Do you see that in the headwinds of the parishes that you work with? Or, or where, where, where are we at you know, as we move forward into the future? I think there's a push-pull going on. There are forces in the church that would rather go back to yeah. a nostalgic time of the 50s or whatever, double down on school and child formation because that we just have to teach louder and harder to our kids, and then they'll start believing again. Right. I'm obviously not in that camp. You <laughs> know, I, it is it is a, only a path forward where we meet people in this place and in this time. There are parishes that are, you know, working with Amazing Parish, Divine Renovation, taking up Alpha. There are a lot of great apostolates and, and green shoots out there proving absolutely that the Holy Spirit is afoot and alive. And where the church, where, where pastor or bishop, where lay people are not only allowing the Holy Spirit, but invoking the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, take the reins of this parish, take over. Let us simply be conduits of your will. That's where it's happening. So we have a retro vision for the church and we have a forward vision. And if that forward vision is, it's, you know, it's faithful to the teachings of the church. This is not about orthodoxy. This is about pastoral sensitivity to who we're trying to evangelize. If we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, if we listen before we talk, this is a big part of evangelization today. And Alpha's got a, a, a great insight into this. I went to a conference with them. It was Christian, not Catholic. And we have a lot to learn from our evangelical brothers and sisters. We do. The, the title of the conference was Love Listens. Two words. And it's changed how I go about I need to stop correcting people. I need to stop interrupting people. I need to allow them to tell their story, be who they are. And the Holy Spirit will provide opportunities for me in the interface over time to bring, you know, we want to bring the fullness of Catholicism to people, you know, the first time. No, no, patiently accompany people and the Spirit will open opportunities for us to bring them ultimately, hopefully, to the fullness of our beautiful faith. Those two words, love listens, that's really going to stick with me. And I didn't even get to attend the conference that you did. I And it really, it's almost the theme for so much of what you've talked about, especially looking forward, because I think, I mean, I grew up as a teenager in the 80s. And so 
that was maybe my worldview of what youth ministry was. Well, that's not youth ministry in 2023, and that's not what the church is today. But if I disconnected from the church at some point, then that last frame of reference might be the church that I remember. But we can't bring, what, whether it's the Latin mass or, or what have you, not that there's anything wrong with the Latin mass, but just sometimes people grab onto what was part of their childhood and part of their upbringing and they want that to be today. But but really listening and opening our hearts is probably the first step for all of us, no matter how long we've been doing this work. Absolutely. Listening allows for trust to develop and relationships to grow. I want to say something about, you know, like Latin mass and other things. It's all a beautiful facets of this diamond, sure. this gem that is the church. So there are false dichotomies that are created. You know, the, the devil wants to divide. So there's this us and them stuff going on that is right. just not helpful. We must rise above polarization and tribalism in the Catholic Church. So let's embrace the beauty of, of different traditions and rites and, and devotions. All beautiful. We should have people praying before the Blessed Sacrament and adoration in, in, in the Blessed Sacrament uh, Chapel for the social justice ministries that are going on in the parish. You know, the, the us and them thing is just totally unhealthy. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I, I, I just think there's so much there on just learning to listen and being open. And I'm one, as I mentioned to you before, I'm one of 16 or 17 diaconate candidates. And we're all 40 plus, most of us 50 plus, and all bringing a certain perspective of our own parish. But one of the beautiful parts about formation is just understanding the church. You mentioned canon law. Actually, this is the semester for canon law. So God bless our instructor. He's getting us through. It's been a beautiful journey. And I think for all of us, where we started from maybe some of my brothers were only in one or two parishes. Now they're getting the larger diocesan view, the larger worldview. And I wish so much that so many other people could go through a similar journey where they could see that the church is so much bigger than my parish or my background and that we have to be open. It's the only, opening the doors, open wide the doors is the only way to, to bring people back, especially when we're trying to reach the younger generation, the millennials now the Gen Xers, so important to listen. This is the beauty and power of Catholicism. We are, we are ancient and universal. Hmm. The church is bigger than myself and my proclivities, okay? So when people want a parish that conforms to who they are and they're comfortable in, that parish is too small. We need parishes to be stretching us, challenging us. One of the things that maybe I would want to say is, we mustn't become the Amish. The mm. Amish found a, a moment in time where they said, we're going to get off here. Yes, that's right. Well, gonna... we, don't, we don't live far from the Amish here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, yeah. And they're, they're wonderful people and they, yep. they do amazing things. And there's sure. a lot of grace and goodness in their culture. But they, they got off the train and said, we're going to plant ourselves here in this moment and not keep going. You know, with yeah. the march of time and all of that. That is not the great commission of Jesus Christ. The Catholic Church has always been this, the genius of the church has been able to go out to the world, to you name it, China, Africa, and to find a way to bring the person of Jesus into that time and place. And so there's a, a Gnostic comfortability in just saying, you know, this is what I like. This is who we are. We'll hang together. We'll circle the wagons and wait for, you know, death or the end of time. But that's not Catholicism. We're bigger than that. We're better than that. Jesus is, is feeding us with the Eucharist and the sacraments and all the graces to propel us 
out into the world. He didn't die on the cross so that we could collect acorns. He died on the cross so that we could be his feet and his hands and his voice like, like St. Teresa of Avila said. So whether you like the Tridentine Mass or whether you love Pope Francis and you know, all go forward, we're all on for the same Catholic mission of bringing light to darkness and mercy and healing to all that is broken in the world. Absolutely. And, and to interpret the gospel for our time, right? And that's what, that's what each generation is called to do. Yes. So important. I was watching one of your webinars, Tom, and you talked about the need to, to take care of yourself, to stay refreshed in ministry. And I think, boy, that's a lesson that that we all have to take with us, no matter what role we have in the church, whether we're working in advancement, working in ministry, it's all the same. And in some cases, there's so much opportunity for burnout. How do you stay refreshed? How do you uh, how do you come back in, in a new year of catechesis with a with a fresh uh, a fresh headwind? That's what I'm yeah. looking for. <laughs> Well, there's a lot to that. I love the church. Hmm. I, I have always loved the church. Matter of fact, I think I may have loved the church before I loved God, which, but the church is the body of Christ. So that's okay. But the church will chew you up and spit you out hmm. if, you're, if, you, if you're not careful. It's an institution. There are a lot of demands. You want to work harder? You want to work 14 hours a day? Hmm. We've got 14 hours plus of work for you. So you Absolutely. Have to, you have to be prudent. <laughs> you have to be judicious. Prudence is a virtue understand that grace builds upon nature. So take care of your nature. What does that mean? Well, spiritually, it means pray and to participate in the sacramental life of the church and to study and learn and intellectually grow and the renewal that comes from that. The greatest source of energy in me is the Holy Spirit working in and through me. So to what degree can I open the bandwidth and say, come Holy Spirit, live with the consciousness at all times that the Holy Spirit is right there, waiting to pounce, waiting to fill me, waiting to use me as an instrument. There's no limit to the spirit's bandwidth or, or energy supply. So that's been a great gift. I've come, I'm not a Pentecostal per se, but I've come to fall in love with the Holy Spirit and develop this deep abiding friendship. So I think that's something. We talk about God, the Father, and now Jesus, not just Christ, but Jesus, the person. I think we have to come as a Catholic people to a greater spirit consciousness. So that's one thing. But then on the, the natural level, hobbies and friends and family and a good show you want to binge on Netflix or whatever and walks, you know, exercise. God wants us to enjoy life and not just be miserable martyrs because you know what? We won't be effective in our ministry because joy attracts and cynicism and burnout is not something people want to sign up for. Right. God created the church, but God is not the church. The church is made of people. And sometimes we bring our brokenness into that organization. And, and that's where we, uh, we have to find healing. And sometimes we have to step back and take a little break and then come back at it again because we're only yes, human. Exactly. Know? So important. You've talked about also in the past a little bit about us being in a Paschal era. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Thank you, Jim, for that. As COVID was waning, I started reflecting on my own life and the people around me and then out mm -hmm. into the world. I follow the news closely. Yeah. And, you know, Paschal, Paschal mystery of Jesus is at the epicenter of Christianity. It's the ground zero of, of what we are about, a suffering, dying and rising people in the image and out of the, the, the power of the grace of the Triduum. So this is always at the core of who we must be and always looking at the dyings and risings that are occurring in our life. 
So we all have, you know, there are oppression and addiction and relational struggles and financial destruction and all the terrible things that occur in one's life. Every journey is different. Then we have these collective Paschal experiences like COVID, like in the United States, tremendous political polarization. We have a global, apparently a global Paschal challenge with climate change. Hmm. I'm increasingly coming to believe that there is something very real to this, and it's an existential threat. So both individually and collectively, this is a Paschal era. I believe it is harder today, life, than it was 10 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, people always think they're living in the apocalyptic tough times, and it is true. But I think this is an especially difficult time. And that provides, I think, the church an opportunity. because. Being at our best self means being a Paschal church, being Christ crucified on the cross. It's much more important, I believe, for us to channel Christ crucified today, to which people will be able to relate. Okay, so your guy, he, you know, he suffered. And, and so he get you know, the Jesus gets us campaign. Mm-hmm. We have a God who gets us and understands us and accompanies us, dwells with us in our darkness, in our despair, in our suffering. This is powerful. This is attractive to people who are in darkness today. So I I invite the church to be less triumphalistic, the all-powerful, all-knowing church that lords over, and be the humble, empathic, crucified church, and then risen church of Jesus Christ. And that will resonate with people in a, in a way that I think no, no other pathway can resonate with people in a Paschal time such as this. I couldn't agree more. And and also to coin one of your phrases, to be radically dependent upon the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, so important, so important and to, to establish a relationship with the Holy Spirit and understand that we draw our power and our God's power from, from that relationship. So Keep in mind, as we want to evangelize and renew the church, the Holy Spirit uses us as a conduit, but the conversion, the evangelization occurs in and through the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So right. as John Paul the, the 20th, Pope John the 23rd said, you know, at the end of the day, it's your church, God, I'm going to sleep. And he slept well. And that's part of it, too, is not owning more than is ours to own. We give our best. We do our best. Come Holy Spirit. But then let's sleep it well at night or enjoy playing with our kids. Yep. And be joyful in life because at the end of the day, it is Christ's church and the Holy Spirit will win out. Absolutely. Tom, that feels like a great note to, to end on. Uh, you mentioned you're working on two books. I want you to reach out to me when they come to fruition. We'd love to have you back on the show to talk about them. And uh, tell us, before, before we go, though, tell us a little about your work at the St. Joseph's Center. I love it. I have the best job in America in Catholic <laughs> history, I like to say. I get to relate to 24 parishes. Uh, the church here in Des Moines is, I think, in relative terms, healthy. In absolute terms, no, we've got a lot of work to do. But there's a little less secularization in in Iowa and in you know uh, I come from Chicago so you know the, the the less urban and more homespun I think the, the better off society tends to be these days it just seems to be the way it is Des Moines is a beautiful area wonderful pastors wonderful lay leadership there's been a lot of formation of leadership valuing of leadership for decades here and the St. Joe Center was the educational center I turned it into the St. Joseph Evangelization Center at its 50th anniversary in October I get to accompany parish leadership 
in their formation and in, in providing consultancy effort at work to help them figure out how to be more effective in their renewal and evangelization efforts. And every parish is different. So I have, you know, if you want to say like 24 children, you have to relate to each one differently. And so it, it's a challenge. It's fun. I think it's where my gifts lie. And I am getting to do some diocesan gigs out there and relate to some, some dioceses nationally. So if anybody wants to connect with me and have conversations, find me, LinkedIn or, or however. Absolutely. Well, we'll leave links to Tom uh, in the show notes of this episode for sure. Tom, I can't thank you enough for this great conversation. I learned a lot from you and, uh, and you've really inspired me. It was a wonderful time to be with you today. I feel the same way. I'm energized, even if it's five o'clock. <laughs> well, it's six o'clock here, so. Yeah. Time for a drink. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, thanks so much, Tom. God bless, and let's stay in touch. Blessings to everybody out there who watched. Thank you, and share this out. Absolutely. God bless. Bye, Jim. I want to thank Tom for sharing his insights on evangelization and parish ministry with us. We hope you found this conversation helpful and informative. If you'd like to learn more about Tom and his work, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Well, that's our show this week. I want to thank Bo York and Pottery Studios for helping to produce not only this show, but all of our shows for over five years now. If you're thinking about putting together a new podcast, I encourage you to check them out at Pottery.com. I'll leave a link to them in the show notes of this episode. And if this is your first time listening to Advancing Our Church, I hope you're going to stick around and subscribe. You can find us on all places where you download your favorite podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And for more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. And once again, many thanks to our sponsor, Changing Our World. You can find a link to their website in the show notes of this episode. Well, that's it for me, everybody. I hope you're enjoying some good weather in your neck of the woods. Have a great week. Take care and God bless.